Well, I want to ask you a question this morning. What's going to happen to the earth? What's going to happen to the earth that you stepped on this morning and that you'll step on again tonight and that you'll lay down in the grass sometime, maybe this afternoon or on a sunny day? What's going to happen to it? If you look into Wikipedia or Wikipedia, which is the online computer, online, uh, online, uh, excuse me, uh, the online encyclopedia, it tells us that in about a billion years, the solar luminosity will be 10% higher than it is at present. Four billion years from now, the increase in the Earth's surface temperature will cause a runaway greenhouse effect heating the surface enough to melt the Earth. By that point, all life on Earth will be extinct, no kidding, and, most probable, and the most probable fate of the planet is absorption by the sun in about 7.5 billion years after that star has entered the red giant phase and expanded beyond the planet's current orbit. 7.5 billion years? How can they calculate that? I don't know. Maybe there's a scientist here that can explain that to me. But the kicker, I think, is the words of freshman uh, representative to Congress from New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC, as we've been told. Her words are this, the world will end in 12 years. The world will end in 12 years if climate change is not addressed. Well, I don't know what you think of global warming. I don't know what you think of climate change. Um, the fact is, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to kind of think about what's going to happen to the earth from what God says in his word. How about you? What does he say about the future of this planet? Well, let me start out by saying that I believe, based on God's word, that what's going to happen to this planet is that it will be born again. How many of you in this room have had an experience with Christ and are walking with him who would say to me that you were born again? Raise your hand. The same thing is going to happen to this planet that you and I live on. But I'm getting ahead of myself. If you'd like to take a note or two, I'd encourage you to take this yellow outline of my sermon, put it in front of you. If you don't like filling in blanks, then just sit and listen. But in whatever way you know how to learn, uh, listen to what uh, God's Word has to say. First of all, I'd like to talk to you about the goodness of creation. The earth is good, or at least it was good. In Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, it says that the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those 10 words tell us a lot about the earth. It's good. At the end of each phase of creation, of each day, God looked on what he had created and he said, this is good. When he got done with creation and looked at Adam and Eve and all that he had created through that time span, God said, it is very good. He planted a garden. He gave the garden to Adam. He gave the garden to Adam for him to work and to, uh, uh, to take care of it and to keep it. 
And he brought animals to Adam and gave him the responsibility of naming the animals. And then after that was all done, he performed um, the greatest surgery probably that's ever been done. God was not only the anesthetist, but he was also the surgeon. And he took a rib out of Adam and he made woman. And the Bible says he presented the woman to the man and Adam said, wow. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord and everything in it and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. God is the artist of creation. He is the artist of everything in it. He's the artist of the world and all who live in it. He is involved, but separate from creation. Eastern religions and the New Age movement sort of meld God and the creation together and make no distinction between God and creation. God kind of melts into his creation as an impersonal energy. In pantheism, or the worship of many gods, they see God as being in the trees and in the rocks. The biblical truth is that God is deeply involved in his creation and still is, but he is also very transcendent. He is imminent, he is with you, he is in you, but he is also very separate from his creation. But not only is earth good, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, not that far into the story, that creation is broken, the brokenness of creation, the brokenness of the earth. The serpent, the fallen angel named, angel named Lucifer, also called Satan or the devil, the deceiver, Diabolus, deceives Eve, and Adam follows Eve, and they both believe what the devil tells them rather than what God tells him. And the result of that is that the world is crushed by sin, embarrassment, self-consciousness, guilt, pain, shame, suffering, decay, sickness, calamity, war, and death entered the world. Animal life was cursed. The ground was cursed. And Adam and Eve were banned from the garden and could not eat of the tree of life in the condition of sin that they were in. The brokenness of creation. Since God has uh, cursed creation, some might conclude these words. What hope is there of restoring something God has cursed? Why waste our time trying to fix it? Why waste our time trying to fix the earth or the environment? And besides, all that's going to happen in the future is that someday the earth is going to be burned up. Well, I'd like to remind you that in God's word, even after creation was broken, God still upholds creation. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. I'd like you to read these verses with me and pay special attention to the words, all things. 
Let's read it together in unison. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things, all things, all things. Earth ultimately is in God's hands. Not in the devil's hands on its way to hell. Earth is in God's hands. He is, and he always will be, committed to his creation. He does not throw creation away. Earth is mentioned approximately 750 times in the Bible in its relationship to God. Listen to just a few. God is the maker of earth. He is the king of all earth. He is the judge of the earth. He is the most high over all. The foundations of earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. The whole earth is full of his glory. Earth, excuse me, he is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Earth is his footstool. His eyes roam to and fro over the whole earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth originally was good. The earth is broken, but God is still over the earth. Yes, the Bible does say that God or that Satan kind of roams around tempting us like a lion. It does say that, that he's the God of this world, but ultimately God is in charge of the whole thing, and God has hope for creation. Earth will be made new. This is the hope of the new creation, the hope of the new creation. God doesn't treat his creation as though it's disposable. In Revelation 21, verse 5, the, the very last book of the Bible, in almost the last chapter, it says that Jesus says, I am making all things new. He isn't going to let Satan have the last word when it comes to earth. God created earth. He sustains the earth, even though Satan has broken it, and God will renew the earth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now stick with me a little bit. Uh, turn on your uh, high school or your college brain or your graduate school brain or whatever it is and, and just stop and think for me a little bit. There are two different words that the New Testament uses, at least two different, for the word new. We're going to have the next slide. One, one is the word brand new or new in form, just completely new. No attachment to the former, new brand new, nothing ever like it. And then there's the Greek word kainos, which means renewed or the renewal of something that has been estranged from its original purpose. This means, um, to put it in the vernacular, 
uh, to you guys who like to work on cars, this means uh, like taking the uh, frame and everything you've got of a, what would it be, a, maybe a 1939 Plymouth or some kind of coupe uh, back in that 1930 or early 40s. I'd love to have one of those. Um, and and you, just, you just make it all over again. And by the time you get done, I mean, it's got shining tires on it. It's, it's, just, it's just gorgeous. The chrome has been redone. It's been repainted. It has a clear coat. You may even put a little couple dazzles in it. It's just gorgeous. That's kainos. That's not brand new. It's new or it's renewed, the renewing of something that has been estranged, something that has fallen apart, something that maybe has been burned up even, or been in a big crash, and now restored to its original purpose. That is the word that is used to describe the new heaven and the new earth, and it is the same word that is used to describe you and me when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not brand new, as if there's no resemblance to the original. When I get saved, and when I go to heaven, I'm still going to be Phil. I'm still going to be Phil Ronsheimer. I may not go by that name, but, but there's going to be an organic connection between who I am now and who I will be when Jesus comes back again. When you were converted, when you came to know Jesus Christ, Jim didn't become Joe. And Sally didn't become Samantha. Sally was still Sally. She still had the same personality. Maybe it was transformed, but she didn't turn from an introvert to an extrovert. She didn't turn from somebody that's five feet tall to somebody that's five and a half feet tall. Do you follow what I'm saying? There's a resemblance to the original. And what I'm saying here is that, and what the Bible is saying here, is that just like you have a resemblance to what you were before you came to know Christ, and you will still have a resemblance to what you are now when you go to glory, when you go to heaven, or when you go to the new earth. So the earth is going to be reborn. It's not going to be something totally brand new that won't have any familiarity to it. But, but the Bible uses the word new heaven and new earth with the word new, reborn. Uh, renewed like it was before in some ways, but perfect. Not neos, but kainos. There's continuity. There's an organic connection between the earth now and the new earth. God is faithful to that which he began in creation, earth will not perish, but it will be transformed. Listen to Jesus. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal, there it is again, of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, he talks about how we will judge the nations the renewal of all things. Now, this is going to blow your mind. 2,700 years ago, Isaiah the prophet wrote about the new earth and the new heaven. 
the New Testament was written in the Greek language, right? The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, right? But there's a version of the Old Testament that is written in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And the word that Isaiah used in the Old Testament, or the word that Isaiah used and that is interpreted or translated into Greek, the New Testament language, the word he used for new heaven and new earth, that's right, he wrote about it 2,700 years ago, is palagenesia. Genesia. What does that sound like? Genesis. What does it mean? It means regenesis. So 2,700 years ago, Isaiah the prophet spoke of a new earth and a new heaven, and he spoke of it as being reborn. How do I know that that's true for sure? Well, that is the same word that is used in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where it says that we are one to Christ, not by work of right, the works of righteousness we have which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, rebirth, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is consistent with the idea that the earth will be reborn. Pulpit commentary, which in my early years of ministry I used a lot, it's an old commentary, old set of Bible commentary, says this. It says, this is the reparation of the whole world, which may well be called a new birth. Paul, in the book of Romans, talks about this. He elaborates on it, and he reinforces it. Uh, look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 24. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God, that's us, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, this is talking about the fall, not by its own choice, but by, the will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of light. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as, you wait, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, we ourselves highlighted, and the whole creation. They both fell together. We both fell together. We did, and creation fell together. And we, in creation, 
will rise together in the resurrection. We and earth are inseparably connected. What God has done to us as new believers in Christ, he will do to his earth. Because he doesn't throw stuff away. The fall, which took place, I don't know how many years ago, but when Adam and Eve sinned against God and believed Satan instead of God, the fall affected not only Adam and Eve and you and me, but it affected all of God's creation. Now, there are remnants of beauty all around us. But I don't have to go too far for you to believe that creation, that this world as we know it, is broken. It's broken. And without Christ, we are broken too. And both man and all creation groan for redemption. And there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for me. There is hope for all creation. And I might just go on to say that there is hope of re-hope for all of creation, the heavens and the earth. You listening? Animals, plants, mountains, rivers, lakes, maybe even fishing. Those are things that are present in this world. And if I read my Bible correctly, when I get to the very end of uh, Revelation, and I don't have to wait until then, the Bible says that in the new earth there will be those things. There will be trees. There will be fruit. There will be eating. The lion and the lamb, new heaven, new earth, Isaiah 65 will lie down together and not be at odds with each other. You have a quote in your bulletin from John Calvin, but I want to read you something that Martin Luther said about this. He said, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. I get a little sad. I mean, I'm happy uh, at the beginning of fall. Well, I'm happy and I'm sad. I'm wondering where in the world June, July, and August went. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of happy, too, when I look at the leaves. Not so happy when they start to fall. I've got to rake them and bag them and do all that kind of stuff. But what really, what really trips my trigger is in the spring when I see those first blooms start to, start to open. I'm just kind of a garden freak. And I love that. I just love that breath of fresh air. I love that newness. I love that recreation of plants and flowers. Well, I know some of you are probably thinking in your mind, well, but what about what, about what Peter says in Second Peter about the destiny of the earth? Doesn't he say that earth is going to be burned up 
Well, let's read it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will be like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare or burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? He goes on to say you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring out bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat but in keeping with his promise we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth kainos not neos not brand new but a repairing of the old an extreme makeover of planet earth It's commonly thought by some that this earth is completely destroyed. Not only that, but it's annihilated, never to be seen again. Well, I think you and I have to look at Peter in the context of all of Scripture and realize that many biblical passages, along with this one, do speak of the burning of the earth and the destruction of the earth, but they also speak of the new heaven and the new earth and the mention of cities and rivers and houses and nations and the planting of vineyards and the eating of fruit and lambs and lions eating together in peace. And even this passage in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 that I've just read, in the earlier parts of the chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 3, speak of the destruction of earth in the great flood of Noah's day. Now, you and I know that the earth was not totally destroyed. It came back. Life came back. So I think life will come back in this earth. And I don't think it will be a totally different planet than it used to be. Earth will not be Mars. Any more than Jane will be Josephine. It'll be a new earth. It'll be a recreated earth. And fire and water, these symbols that are used in 2 Peter and elsewhere to describe what's going to happen to the earth in the end, like the flood and the great fire that will consume the earth, those, those are words, those are words that, uh, excuse me, I just lost my train of thought. Those are words that indicate that the the heavens and the earth are not going to be totally destroyed, but that they will be renewed. I'm going to skip over a couple things here, um, and I want to go down to, uh, to this statement, and that is that earth and heaven will be resurrected, transformed, and reborn. I want you to repeat that after me. I'm going to say a phrase at a time, and then I want you to, to etch it in your mind and in your memory. Here it is. Earth and heaven will be resurrected, transformed, reborn. Look at your neighbor. I want you to say it to him or to her. Earth and heaven will be resurrected. A little louder, okay? 
I know they can hear you, but I want to hear you. Earth and heaven will be reborn. There you go. Earth and heaven will be transformed. Now, I want to I blow your mind a little bit. I think, and I think because of this word renewed, I think that there will be things about the new heaven and the new earth that we feel is familiar. If it says there will be trees, there will be trees. If it says there will be mountains, there will be mountains. How many of you have ever been to the Rockies? How many of you ever sat up on a hill like I had the privilege of doing when we were in uh, Switzerland and uh, looked out over the, uh, the Alps? You ever had that kind of experience? I remember sitting in the grass and then laying down in the tall grass uh, after going up one of these uh, funicular things and then going on one of these gondolas to, to the peaks in, the, in Switzerland and just laying down and listening to the bells in the distance. The farmers would put different sounding bells on their different sheep or, or uh, cows or whatever it was so that they could tell where they were and what they were. I can remember laying there and just listening to the bells in the distance, those big cow bells or smaller bells, and, and then just looking up and just feeling the brisk air and looking out over the snow-capped Alps. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. There is coming a day, there's coming a day, I believe it with all my heart, that you and I will lay down in the grass and we will smell smell the, the air and we will look out around us and we will see things that we, we remember. There's something inside of us that remembers them. But they will be more glorious and more beautiful than everything, anything we've ever seen in our heart, in our life. Just unbelievable. So how, the, oh, and by the way, I do think that there are going to be dogs and maybe cats in heaven. Now, I can't promise you that your favorite dog, Fufu, is going to be there. Okay, not going to say that. But if the Lord in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 65, and I think the first couple verses, talks about the lion and the lamb uh, eating together, if, if, if the lion and the lamb are there, I think the dog and the cat are going to be there too. Snakes, I don't, I don't think so. So how then shall we live? Well, I think we should live as people of hope. The passage that I just read to you from Romans tells us that the waiting that goes on in us and in the Lord for heaven, have you ever, have you ever groaned for heaven? Have you ever been in the midst of life where things are difficult? Maybe even when things are positive and you were reading in your devotions and you just kind of groaned inside for heaven. Lord, when is all this stuff that we're dealing with going to be done? When are you going to close the books to, to the old and open up the books to the brand new and the fresh? Just like a woman 
who is suffering in her presence, in her, in her pregnancy with discomfort and trouble sleeping and morning sickness and, and labor especially, is sustained by her hope. So as people of hope, we should live in hope. Read this with me in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Let's read it in unison. Lift your voice and read it together. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope. Let the world around you. How shall we then live? We shall live as people of hope. Secondly, live as stewards of earth. This earth matters to God. He is committed to its renewal. He even told Adam in the Old Testament to subdue the earth and to work it and to take care of it. God's made a huge investment on this little bitty planet. Subdue it, God said to Adam. Not play king of the hill. Did you ever play king of the hill when you were a kid? We loved, back in those days when you had, some of you remember those days, some of you don't. You remember the monkey bars? You could kill yourself on those things. And, and those weren't bad enough, so we would take, we would take the big hills that the, the bulldozers or tractors or whatever had pulled up. Have you ever played King of the Hill? I mean, you'd push kids off of the hill. You didn't care that they rolled over 16 times before they hit the, the concrete. You just played King of the Hill. It's just how it was done. Now, that's not what God means when he tells Adam to subdue the earth. It's rather, Adam, uh, align its resources with the will of God. Make use of the earth in a way that glorifies God and blesses others. Subdue it. Work it, cultivate it, be resourceful, produce a crop. Work. Your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. Your work with things that have to do with earth matter to God. Your worth with regard to things or your, your efforts with regard to people around you, to cultivate them and to help them grow, I'm a nut for watching my garden grow. But I'm also a nut for watching people around me grow. I love investing my life in people. Invest your life in people. Give your life to people, aware, to, to people who are around you. Take them into your home. Your home isn't your castle where you go and hide away. Your home is a place of ministry. I don't say, please take this right. I don't say this by way of bragging. She's not here, so I won't embarrass her this morning. But our, our dear Jewel, I can't even say her name in uh, Sudan, Sudanese. Um, and I'm not going to tell you what her crime was, but she ended up spending, spending nine years in prison. Mary Ellen met her at Sherburne, Sherburne County Jail and just fell in love with her. And we even told her, Mary Ellen even told her when she gets done serving her time, if she needs a place to stay, just let us know. And about a month ago, 
one of the social workers called us and, and said, uh, she needs a place. We don't have anything. Right now, all of the, the work study or the programs that have beds where people can stay until we get them in the job training and all that, there, there's just not one left for a, for a female. And uh, I looked at Mary Ellen, and I got to tell you, I was, I was a little bit slow on this. Mary Ellen was, let's go. And uh, we told the caseworker that she could come and live with us. And uh, that despite the fact that I think the day after, or a couple days after she came to live with us, um, our kids were coming home from Malaysia, who we hadn't seen for, for two years. Kirk will be preaching next Sunday. He's a missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance and works with the international school in Dalat in, in Malaysia. And uh, so Kirk and his wife and, and uh, their three girls uh, have been with us kind of off and on over the last couple weeks and are down in the cities now visiting some other friends and will be back uh, tomorrow to finish out a week and a half. And our son, daughter, and, and uh, our son and daughter-in-law and, and their girl uh, from Colorado came. And we had a big family reunion two or a week ago yesterday. It was, it was crazy. It was wonderful, but it was crazy. And then we have Jewel. That's what we called her, Jewel. Because to us, that's what she is. Open your life to other people. Disadvantage yourself for the sake of ministering to other people. Let life crimp you a little bit for the sake of other people around you. Throw yourself into the lives of other people. Make room in your heart for other people. Some of us don't have room in our house for other people because we don't have room in, our house, room in our heart for other people. What a blessing. What an incredible blessing. We can tell her too, but she calls us mom and dad. Has it stretched life a little bit? Oh, yeah. Mary Ellen's had to go all over the place getting this form and that form and this done and that done, and she's exhausted. Is it worth it? You better bet. Better believe it. The only thing, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is other people who you've invested your life in and go to heaven because of what you've done in their lives. And the day will come when you will be surrounded by other people who have come to faith because you have a, you have a part in their journey. Give your life away, please. 
It's a glorious thing. Cultivate the earth. Cultivate the people of earth. Cultivate the people that are around you who need Jesus. Your work matters to God. The Bible says everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. And lastly, take care of earth. Keep it. The word take care is the same word used in the benediction, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Treat the land around you as though it belongs to God. Because it does. And you are his tenants. And live as new people now. Live as new people now. If we could have the next slide. Though the final renewal of things uh, is yet to come, you and I can begin to live out that newness right now. Because you and I have already been made new in Christ if we've been converted. I am made new now, and you are too, through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Let me read for you, and you can read with me if you want, three sets of verses from Corinthians, Peter, and James. They emphasize the importance of living, living out this new life now. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, that's you and me, into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Second Peter. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, to what? To read the context, it's to the new heaven and the new earth. So, dear friends, since you are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, with the Lord. In James chapter 1, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. There was an offering in the Old Testament that was called the offering of the first fruits. When a farmer would uh, bring in the harvest, he would always bring the, the first of the harvest, the first fruits of the harvest, and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. It was a sign as he did it, it was a sign as he did it that God was good and that he was offering the whole harvest to the Lord and was thankful to the Lord for that harvest that he was able to bring before the Lord. So here, James is telling us to live our lives even though the new earth and the new, the new heaven and the new earth have not arrived. He's telling us to live our new Christian lives as the first fruits of a regenerated universe. Because remember, you and I and the universe, the earth, are connected. We will be resurrected, and so will the earth, so will the world. We are the first fruits of a regeneration, regenerated universe. So therefore, live as first fruits. Live as models of transformation. Live in a world with a transformed life even though the world itself is yet to be transformed. Pray with me, will you? Lord, uh, 
Bless your word. Help it to sink into our hearts. Help us to live as new people, to live as the first fruits of a planet that is yet to be regenerated. And now, Lord, as we receive the offering, I pray that we would give not only of our wealth, of our money, but that we would give of ourselves to you, that we would give liberally, and that we will give without any grudging, and that we would give generously to you, because you deserve it. Help us to give in a way that even might pinch us a bit. Help us to live that way. I pray in the strong name of Jesus.